Let me pray for you and let us ask for the Lord's continue to be with us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the prayer that Pastor Jessica shared with us this morning. I thank you for the ability to be able to breathe out all that we've been facing this week, and some of us have faced some hard things this week. We come with heavy hearts, and we come with joy as well, and we ask God between the heavy and the joy that you're able to bring us into a place that we leave here inspired to know you more. We leave here inspired to face the week ahead of us. We leave here inspired to know that you are with us. May your spirit lead us through Daniel chapter 7 and 8 as well, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. We are in the middle of the series on resilience, and this is based on the book of Daniel uh, in the First Testament of the Bible, and so uh, you're welcome to dive inside there. This, uh, we've covered chapters 1 through to 4, and we are looking at chapters 7 and 8 here. In chapters 1 to 4, um, they, as a quick summary, just to refresh ourselves, chapter one is, I believe, the four chapters deal with the story of Nebuchadnezzar in particular. Yes, they include great stories about Daniel. Yes, they include great stories about history that will be tied together. But there is a theme that comes through all of chapters one to four, and it's about Nebuchadnezzar. The first one that he looks at these young men and says, well, you guys are pretty cool. I'm pretty happy with you. You're smart fellows. You passed well in chapter one. In chapter two, he says, well, your God, your God, Daniel is pretty amazing. He's pretty cool, but he is your God. And then in chapter 3, when he looks at the three friends and he says, man, your God over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is over all of us. But it's only in chapter 4 that he moves from your God, from you guys, to actually my God, and he is over us, and assents to and embraces faithfully that this is the God that he will embrace and follow and be connected to. And so it's a journey that takes about 40 years for Nebuchadnezzar to go through, and there is this thread all the way through in the first four chapters. And of course, you may have seen you know, the posters that are here, you may have seen them on Facebook, you may have seen them inside the bulletin that we send out by emails, you may have seen them on the screens in the church or the posters around the places, you may have seen them on Instagram, and you're wondering to yourself, we did Daniel 1, and then we did Daniel 2, we looked at Daniel 3 and 4, and I'm pretty sure that it goes, after 4 comes 5, and I'm pretty sure we should be 5 and 6. And then you're wondering, why is he in seven and eight? It's, I do know how to count, and we are going to go to five and six, but here's the thing. The Bible was written in the First Testament with a Hebrew mind that actually had like a picture all the way through. So one to six mirrors seven to 12 all the way through. But it's difficult for us because we're more Greek and more linear. So I chose to do the approach through the whole book of Daniel in chronological order. So I'm taking you on this journey in a way that makes sense to me and to hopefully to you as well, that we're going through Daniel's life as he's growing up. He was in his 40s by the time chapter 4 happens. And then you get to chapter 7 and 8, where we're going to meet him now, and, and 7 and 8, and then we continue back to 5, 6, 9 to 12 all the way through. So you will see that everything that he experiences is connected to his life and something that's taking place inside his life. And I just wanted you to keep that in mind that uh, I can count and it's important. Here we go, worship guide. Open the worship guides up. Look down here, you see some recalibrate questions in the inside page here. Remember that if you want to fill in anything on the Connect card, you can place them in the offering altars afterwards as well. The first question here is, what gives value to your life? What gives value to your life? We left Daniel in chapter four in his mid-40s, and at this point, no vision has ever been dropped on Daniel, all right? 
He's had interpretations given to him by God. He has listened to what Nebuchadnezzar has gone through two times, two different dreams, but he has not had any prophetic visions given to him specifically, directly to him to be able to share with anyone else. He's in his 40s. Now we get all the way through to Daniel chapter 7, and he is now in his 70s. Right? So a lot of years have passed by from Nebuchadnezzar accepting God to now Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, he's in his 70s inside there. And this is the first time that God approaches him and says, I have something I want to lay on you, something I want you to wrestle through. I have a vision that I want to give you because this is important. Talk about patience. He had to wait until he was in his 70s before he received any of the stuff. He had looked at his contemporaries and he would looked at his predecessors like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and maybe even Joel. And he would looked at all these other guys and they all had their visions. They were prophets of God. God had spoken to them, had shared all these great insights. And yet Daniel, until his 70s, is experienced silence from God when it comes to the prophetic gift. And yet, he's deeply patient through this. Our church is wrestling through this since last year and for the few years before that. And we are struggling all the time to try to understand whether we are listening to the voice of God or whether we are following some cultural trends. For me, it's quite tragic that uh, a male-dominated culture inside our church here wishes to dominate the decisions that we make when it comes to the biblical value that God has created us to be equal. It's why I believe that the prophetic voices of the First Testament and Second Testament speak directly to us and try to enunciate clearly the value of life no matter what age you are, no matter what gender you are, but you are valuable. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. This is uh, page 850 in your Bible, so you can look inside your Bibles in front of you, page 850, but Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. I'll wait for you to turn there. I think this is a famous verse that some of you have read many, many times and maybe just passed over it really quickly or maybe you spent a lot of time reflecting on it, but Joel chapter 2, verse 28, page 850 in your Bibles. It shall come to pass afterward, afterwards, something in the future, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams and your young man shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Let me just read that one more time. And it came to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. When Joel receives the word from God, and articulates where the vision and the power of the Spirit will come, he includes all the voices that society at the time did not value. Your sons and your daughters, your old men and your young men, and even the male and female servants will receive the power of the Spirit and they will be the voice of change. God is saying, I value you. And I value you when the world says that I don't value you, but I value you. Chris Oberg, who's a pastor out of La Sierra University Church, posted on Facebook this week in light of some of the actions that our head office church is going through right now. She said this, to my sisters in ministry, keep your hands on the gospel plow, 
and hold on. And this is one of the beautiful reasons, and many reasons, why I love Boulder Church, because not only do we have female pastors here, but not only do we have leadership that doesn't decide based on gender, but we say leaders of all ages are welcome Boulder Church, leaders of all ethnicities are welcome Boulder Church, leaders of all genders are welcome at Boulder Church, and we assent to this, that leadership is not a right. Leadership is a privilege. It is not a right. You don't get to say, I'm a less should be a leader because I exist. Well, some of you do. Good luck. Leadership is a privilege, and it should never be held back because of prejudices and racism and gender inequality that we face in our world today, all right? The word of God that he's trying to say is that I want to restore you back to the way it was, and it is a journey that's going to be a heavy journey, and that's what I love about this church here. And that's what I love about Daniel when he reaches his 70s here. He's in his 70s when everybody else is discarding him. God says, let me come to you, Daniel, and now deliver a message for you. Because even back then, old people were devalued at that period of their life. You ever researched uh, where retirement comes from and why people retire? Um, it actually started in the 1800s uh, in Prussia, uh, where they decided that they wanted to care for people who were getting elderly or maybe people who couldn't take care of themselves physically. And so the government said we should establish some kind of retirement thing. And the common thinking was that when you hit the age of around 60, you no longer were capable of thinking anymore. I know, I know. We now believe it's 61. Uh, so no, no. <laughs> when you hit the age of 60, that was the thinking that they had, right? And so even the American government in the 1930s, early 1930s, said we should look at this and explore you know, some kind of retirement thing. And so in 1935, they established, based on the life expectancy, about 60, they said, let's make retirement 65. Do you understand that? Everybody's supposed to die by the time they're 60. We'll make retirement 65. It's very wise, and so, and so they said, we will make you work until the very last moment if we can. And then, of course, in the 60s, it's just a few years later, life expectancy went up to in the 70s. And then a few years later today, life expectancy is now in its mid-80s. And today, there are 38 million people in this country retired who are capable of being leaders in their lives and in their communities. But for some reason, we decided to create this thing where we just said, we value you no more. Go retire. Step aside. Don't be engaged in leadership. Don't be engaged in your communities. Don't be engaged in your work. We'll pretend it's fun. Let me know how it goes for you. That's what we do. And we kind of push this away. And in this church here, we're trying very hard to reverse some of that. So I'm going to tell you two things we're doing. Um, well, three things, in fact. One of them is that we're trying to make sure we have intergenerational leadership in this church. People of all ages should be leaders in this church. It's very important to us. Number two is that we're going to have a, what I refer to as the Wiser Generation Banquet. December 11, inside the community room. Everybody over 60, because you can still think. Uh, you're welcome to come and join us. Come to the Boulder Chamber Orchestra. They're going to have a concert inside here afterwards. We're going to have a great time and celebrate great stories of life and experiences with that. And then on Tuesdays, every Tuesday, we have a life group that meets inside the community room uh, at lunchtime. Jackie Hayes, she prepares lunch for us pretty faithfully every single time we meet there. And I've got to tell you a secret. I love the group. I'm kind of jealous when I'm away. In fact, I don't want them to do anything. I want them to kind of like stop <laughs> and just wait until I come back because I love the group. It's just so much fun. And part of the thing is that we gossip a lot. 
It's fantastic. No, 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 it's good, good gossip. It's all good. This is the thing. Every idea that I have or every idea that I hear from people about how we could do church or what we could do at Boulder, I process through that group. They secretly are the real elders board. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you didn't know that, did you? Peter knows, he's, he's with me. And so they say, that's not a good idea, or, or have you thought about this or this? It's fantastic, and they give them some of the best wisdom, some of the best insights inside this, so I love that group. I also have another theory as to why I enjoy people who are much, much older. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, and, and I think this, these are generalizations, so they're not true of everybody, but have you noticed how older people sin less? They do. And I have a theory why they sin less. It's because they're just tired. <laughs> they're like, oh. They're thinking about sinning and they're like, oh, forget it. Too much energy. I won't bother. And so they sin less. So they're just they're fun to be around, right? Number two is that they love more. They really do. They've experienced life and they love more. Their hearts are big and they get this. The other thing is that they have wisdom because they've gone through hard things and good things. And unfortunately, we don't go to them enough to say, teach us what we should do because they do have wisdom to share. And then the fourth one is that they are patient. No, they really are. I mean, a couple of them are not. A couple of them are really cranky, and I'm, I kind of avoid them as much as I can. But most of them, incredibly patient. And I think they're patient because they realize that life is fleeting. It's here and it's gone. That's why grandparents are famous for spoiling their grandkids, right? Oh, sure, eat the bag of sugar. <laughs> it's okay. And then we as parents turned around and said, why didn't you let us do that when we were kids? I'm like, well, because I wanted to go to sleep at night. And, <laughs> and so that's why you couldn't. But grandparents just like, they just want to love, be loved and love people. And they want to spoil people because they realize the value of life. And I believe that God understood this really well. And so he does this with Daniel. He comes along and says to him, you're in your 70s. People don't value you, but I know you have incredible experiences I know that you have a big heart and you love. I know that you have wisdom. Let me lay something very heavy on you in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. Now, we offer you the daily walk. And I'm, I'm going to push this every week until Jesus comes back. We offer you the daily walk. And the daily walk, if you've never heard about this, this is a, a Bible study that we offer you to be able to do this at home to study everything. So you want to get the maximum out of a sermon, you want to get the maximum out of church, you should be preparing through daily walk every day, spending a few minutes studying the stuff that we've written so that you are preparing your mind, studying and preparing so by the time you come to Sabbath morning, you have something to engage in, something to react to, something to say, I agree or I disagree or I have these questions as well. And if you had done daily walk, which I hope you have, uh, you would have seen some of these things that I'm going to just summarize for you before we get into the nuts, the, the crux of this message in particular here when it comes to patience and what I believe the messages of Daniel 7 and 8 are. So you would have seen inside there this week. And if you, oh, by the way, I should say that we do have hard copies of the daily walk. They're over there outside Pastor Jessica's office, and so you're welcome to go grab a copy, but they're online as well, so you can get the archives, go back and try and catch up if you're just watching this online for the first time. There is a table graphic. It shows you Daniel chapter 2. It shows you Daniel 7 and 8, and it parallels Daniel 7 and 8. So you can see that from Daniel 2, you've got the gold and the silver and the bronze, and you can see the animals that match all these all the way through. I even included, as a sneak peek, for no cost at all, chapters 9 to 11. 
So then you're like, I'm ready. So if you didn't look at it, you need to go back and look at it and say, ah, I get chapters 9 to 11 as well. You can see the parallels all the way through. And with this detail and with this parallels, your faith will start to grow. Because when you look at Daniel, honestly, when you look at Daniel and you, you start to understand the way that God communicated so far in advance to tell us, I want you to understand that if I can tell you how the world is going to move forward, you will believe that the rest of the Bible is accurate as well. When Jesus quotes Daniel, he gives tremendous authority to the book. He assents to the book as well. And so you look at the whole story and you say to yourself, God knows so much here. He's taken me all the way through my life to the future, to the second coming. And it's through these images, and these are fantastic images of these beasts that kind of make me feel like I'm in Disneyland for a second, like in fantasy world of Disneyland. These great images come out, or maybe Tolkien with you know, the Fellowship of the Rings. These great images come through, and, and you look at them, and you think to yourself, wow, that was going to be a scary vision. That would be a scary dream to have. But then you start to unpack them, and you start to understand that the detail is important. I love the leopard because primarily it reminds me of a jaguar, and I would like to have a jaguar. I know you're thinking of the car, but I'm actually thinking of the cat. Oh, just, could you imagine walking down Boulder with a jaguar? I mean, it'd just be beautiful. It'd be fantastic. I should try it one day. Uh, so, uh, but I would love to have a jaguar, but I love this animal, and this animal represents Greece. It, it matches in the table. It shows you that it matches up with the uh, bronze, and then it shows you all the way through. You get the leopard, but look at the detail of this. This leopard has four heads. It has four wings, so you know that this empire was going to be fast, and hundreds of years before it came into reality, Jesus says through a 70-year-old man, tell the people that I know there will be a kingdom that will arise and it will cover the land at a rate that nobody else has. And Greece did this. And then I'm going to tell you that one day that kingdom will dissolve and it will be divided amongst four generals, which are the four heads of this leopard. I mean, the details inside here, just phenomenal. And I take courage from that. So I'm looking through all the stuff and I'm thinking, hey, there's so much in here. Maybe everything that he says, because it's come true, can only bring hope to the reality that the stone that one day will be carved out of the mountain, will come and destroy this and restore, and the second coming will become true. And so I look at that, and I love that. And then I look at the little details like the iron and the clay, and I realize that clay in the Bible has always been used as a symbol of pliability. It says, let me be clay in the potter's hands, implying spirituality. So then I'm looking at the iron and the clay, and I'm saying to myself, there's some kind of pliable spirituality taking place inside this iron kingdom all the way through to the toes. And so you know that there's some kind of identity issues inside here. And the beasts go through, and they talk about the little horn, and you studied that inside this week, so you know what that is. And you switch all the way through until the beasts disappear. And you get to chapter 8, and he moves into animals that we all recognize, a ram and a goat. And you ask yourself, why did this happen? And there's three years, by the way, in between these two visions. So Daniel 7 takes place, three years go by, he has Daniel chapter 8, and he says, I get a vision about a ram and a goat. And you start to connect the echoes. Remember how I said last week that you had a revelation and you understand that John, he looks back and he sees the echo in Revelation, and then you look at Daniel, he looks back and he sees the echo back all the way to Genesis. He's writing about the ram and the goat because he's going to start talking to you about the worship. He's going to talk to you about the sanctuary. He's going to talk to you about everything that's connected to that. So your mind is drawn into this journey that something has to happen in the sanctuary. And next week, 
when we do Daniel 5 and 6, we're going to talk about the strength that it takes to be able to live through something like this. But for now, you know that it's dealing with worship and faithfulness in Daniel chapter 8. And this was a theme that continued from the very beginning of the book. Nebuchadnezzar, do you worship God? Do you worship yourself? Nebuchadnezzar, do you worship God? Do you worship yourself? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you worship God? Or do you worship Nebuchadnezzar? Worship has been a tension all the way through. And as you study Daniel 7 and you study Daniel 8, you understand there's an oppression for 1,260 years. Maybe you jumped ahead to Daniel chapter 9 and we'll get there eventually. And you'll understand October 22, 1844. And all these kind of dates will start to flow inside this. But there's a wrestling that takes place inside Daniel here. By the time you get to Daniel 8, 14... There is this understanding that there must be some kind of cleansing of the sanctuary. And there was a misunderstanding about what the cleansing of the sanctuary meant. And they thought to themselves, well, what's the sanctuary? When they came to this understanding, and said, well, the first thing, it must be planet Earth. Well, to cleanse planet Earth, to recreate planet Earth, how could that be done? That must be with Jesus returning. And so we believe that Jesus was going to return in October 22, 1844. But only later on did we understand that it actually wasn't a reference to planet Earth, but to the heavenly sanctuary. And an atonement phrase that we were talking about, that we use language metaphorically and literal for some people who really get hung up on whether it's a left room or a right room and all that kind of crazy stuff. In truth, what Daniel 8, 14 is saying is that God is in control. And God is in control, and things are coming to the end. They're coming to the finale, if you like, of all life that we understand inside here. And that understanding was really important to us, which brings us to question number two inside our worship guide here. What are you proactive about? What are you proactive about? I mentioned a few weeks back that next year is the 2000, 2017 is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And uh, a friend of mine, Alex Bryan, was posting on, online, and his hashtag with the comments about 2017 are these. His hashtag is, hashtag, get some nails. And I was like, wow, I like that. Get some nails. And I thought to myself, what do I want to get some nails about? What do I want to get some nails about? What, what door do I want to nail some nails to? All these things wrestled through my head, and I thought to myself, get some nails, indeed. What are we celebrating and what are we protesting in particular? And when you think about the Reformation and the beginning of it, I mean, it was a protest against the Catholic Church that had started off phenomenally. Blessed by God, brought through all the stuff, and then over time, nudged away, suppressed the role of Jesus Christ, raised other people in its place, and along comes the Reformation. Martin Luther says, I protest against this. I am reacting against this. I want to come and surrender to Jesus, and Jesus is who I, I want to follow. And it, it starts off this way. And I ask myself, are, are we kind of ready for that kind of revolution? Would you, next week, be ready for the revolution? Would you be ready? Are you, have you been feeling that you're ready? You know, the best leaders are not leaders that just react, because sometimes you have to react, but the best leaders are leaders that are proactive, leaders that are thinking ahead. And I'm asking you, as leaders of Boulder, I'm asking you to say to yourself, what am I being proactive about? What has God called me to? What are we supposed to be doing here? This is what I love about Boulder here, and our church and our community here, that we are saying that we want a fresh expression of Jesus Christ. 
When Adventism began in the early 1800s, going through a process inside there, it was not a reaction. It was a proactive decision that they discovered they wanted to know Jesus more. They wanted to know Jesus more. In fact, they crossed tribal barriers. It didn't matter whether you were Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Catholic or Anglican or whatever you wanted. They crossed all tribal barriers because they said the Word of God is what drives us. We don't need an identity, a name, or a brand. We actually just want to follow God, and we want to focus on Jesus. And as they did this, and they focused on Jesus, you know, they started to grow their desire for God amongst other people as well, because there was this milieu, there was this kind of feeling that God was moving in the entire world, saying, I want you to waken up, and I want you to understand that something serious is happening inside here. One of the co-founders, his name is James White, one of the co-founders of Adventism, towards the last few moments of his life, was recorded saying this over and over and over again. I yearn for Jesus. That's all he would say. I yearn for Jesus. People would come to him and ask him all sorts of other questions about other things, about policies, about actions, about what we should do as a church, and he would reply, I yearn for Jesus. He lived in Michigan, and he'd look outside of his field, and he would say to his family, I simply yearn for Jesus. And that passion was what brought our church together. Who cares about anything else when you yearn for Jesus, when you understand how difficult that is? But with the birth of the church, like any birth, it is painful and joyful at the same time. I was talking to Brent, and he, by text, congratulating him about Lincoln, and he, and he said, I didn't know just how much more I could love right? Holding his son. He's just like, I don't know how much I could love. And I said, it's amazing. As a parent, you will always just be amazed how much more you can love. And the love just keeps on growing, even when they grow up and become teenagers. You still love them. It's all good. And this is what they did. They, they understood the pain inside here. And our church went through some pain right at the beginning. In 1844, when Jesus didn't return, that was what Revelation referred to as a little book, that they ate the scroll. It was sweet and then it was bitter in their stomach. Because Daniel, Daniel had been sealed up. Nobody really understood Daniel until 1700s and 1800s when the, the whole world started to say, I think this is, means something here. I think I'm starting to get what this is actually driving at. Then they started to revisit Daniel and Revelation because God said, it is now time for you to understand the tension that I put inside here. But 40 years later, after our church began, um, studying prophecy, studying Daniel and Revelation, uh, they started to get into a battle about what it meant to be a follower yearning for Jesus. And there was this tension inside there about worship and faithfulness, and they understood John 14, 5, if you love me, keep my commandments, and they wanted to keep all the commandments, they wanted to follow God, and they also understood that under Thomas Jefferson's council in the early 1800s, that there was a separation between church and state. There was always going to be freedom in this country to be able to do so. But by the late 1800s, so this is just around 40 years after our church began, Sunday laws were appearing all over the country. And this is important for you to understand context, because when you understand the context, you understand the story and the application. 
And as these Sunday laws were appearing, even in California, in the state of California, they were running for, for office, and they had a third party coming forward saying they're running on Sunday law as their big thing. We want Sunday laws in the state of California. So the church and state had started to merge rather rapidly. The Catholic Alliance and the Protestant Alliance came together, and their quote was, um, we will gladly join hands with them over the Sunday law. We want the country to do this. And so people were starting to get arrested if they worked on Sunday. J.W.C. Um, White was working in the Pacific Press, publishing on Sunday, and he got arrested. And other people who were working in a bar got arrested on that day as well. They were taken to the jail. The person working in the bar was released, and W.C. White was asked to pay between six months and a year's salary to be released. So, you understand, if you're living in a time where you see that you have no freedom of religion anymore, right? You start to think differently. You read prophecy differently. You understand text differently. You write books differently. And you start to articulate language differently. And you start to be fearful and at the same time excited. And you think to yourself, God is coming back because this is, this is the fruition of it. It is about worship. And if I'm trying to be faithful to God, I should be following God and staying faithful to the Sabbath. Then they ask me to keep Sunday. The tension is real for them. Along comes a guy called Wagner, and Wagner says to Uriah Smith, you know when you study Daniel 7, I don't think you got it right. And that flipped Uriah Smith out. Uriah Smith was like, no, I've got it right. And said, well, I think one of, the, one of the toes, I think one of them wrong. And they started to argue back and forth. But Uriah Smith had gone through the great disappointment. He understood what it is to be wrong, and he did not want to be wrong a second time. So he's battling this with Wagner at the same time. And as they're battling back and forth, the emotions are getting really high. And then a guy called Jones, A.G. Jones, starts talking about Jesus and saying, I, I really think, brothers and sisters, that we're focusing on the law too much, and we should be focusing on Jesus, and then you will see the law differently. Because the law becomes a response rather than your seal of approval. Because what had happened is that people were starting to keep things and do things and be perfect without Jesus. They just knew it, checked it off and said it. And he said, I think you got it back to front. It is Jesus and Jesus places you in a place where you then live and you respond and you will follow him and by following him you will live a better life. Well, this all hit in 1888 at a general conference session where the battle was articulated as best as I can there, and there was a battle between are we being faithful to God or not being faithful to God, back and forth, back and forth, all the way through. Are we being faithful to Jesus? And I'm telling you this, my friends, because I've had so many phone calls this week and so many texts this week and so many Facebook messages this week about what's going on at the head office over in D.C., about how this church is handling things or how we're going to process things. This is the news I have for you, and this is the challenge I have for you. Don't quit. Don't give up, don't walk away, don't get all mad, be proactive, not reactive. Stay focused on Jesus Christ, stay focused on the Bible, and he, God, will take us through. He will take us through. You have no power over some things, but you may get riled about it, and I get riled about some things as well. But in truth, what we focus on is Jesus Christ, as articulated through all these pages and ideas, so we may see the character of God fully through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our role. That is our job. And we must live that no matter where it takes us. That's the sentence nobody likes to hear. No matter where it takes us. So, question number three. 
How do you grow patience? How do you grow patience inside there? You grow patience by being faithful to Jesus no matter what happens. After that conference in 1888, um, our church was really unhappy with Ellen White, who was one of the co-founders of our church, and with Wagner and Jones. And so they sent Ellen White on what they referred to as a missionary job to Australia. Um, Australia is not like it is today. You know, you get on a plane, and it takes like 36 hours, and you're in another con continent, and you're there, and done. It would take six months to get you out there. And once you're out there, you would say to yourself, what am I doing here? And that's how people felt about Australia. Not today, I love Australia. It's a great, lovely, great country. And so, um, but when they arrived there, and she arrived there, she was like, what, what do you, why are you sending me as far away as you can from the design and the forming of our church, why are you sending my, and she's one of the co-founders of this, right? This tribe, and so she's been sent off there, and she entered a state of deep depression. She was really sad. She went to a camp meeting. Camp meetings uh, were these programs where they would preach for like 10, 14 days, and they would have sermons in the morning and evening, and everybody would come together in tents and, and be together and do that. Today, we, we don't do that as often. Uh, maybe some of us do it in hotels, but, they did back then, got together, came to camp meeting. She's in camp meeting, and this guy preaches, and he preaches this phenomenal sermon, and he talks about Jesus, and she is like, absolutely, Jesus is my strength. That was who I saw, that's who I believe, that's who I understand, that's who I know. He is the one who's called us because I have been proactive. And she wrote the book, Desire of Ages. If you've never read Desire of Ages, you need to go read Desire of Ages. She read, wrote this book. Desire of Ages basically tells you the story of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in chronological order, taking through the journey all the way through. It's fantastic. She wrote this. She sent it back to the United States and said to them, you need to publish this book, because they had published every book that she had written at this point. They sent the manuscript back to her. They said, we don't like this. We want something with more fire. We want something a bit hard-hitting, because we're in battle here. That's what you don't understand. And she said, I'll publish it myself. So she published herself, sold like wildfire, then they adopted it. So, um, this book was a phenomenal book, and is still a phenomenal book, and transformed the way the Australian church exists today. When you go to Australia, you'll be amazed. Their passion for Christ, and Australians are kind of like a breed of, in between the Brits and the Americans. They're just like this unique people that are creative and yet conforming, and in between they're like flat and they're pyramid, and they're just, they're Australians. There's no way to describe them. And so they're just phenomenal. And with Jesus at their center, they have done things in the church that nobody else had imagined. Well, meanwhile, Kellogg's, who made the cereals over here, you know, part of the sanitarium that was here at Boulder, making the cereal, and we all talk about it. We never talk about the stuff at the end. Kellogg's went kind of crazy. He started to, like, believe, you know, God was inside, you know, wood and, and in the tree, and he's moving now in the carpet, and all sorts of weird stuff started to happen all the way around. So while this is going on, they write to her and say, I need you to come back to America and solve the Kellogg problem. And she said, no, 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 and eventually, uh, she eventually came back, came back to the church here, and constantly pushed the church back into a place saying, stay focused on Jesus, as articulated in the Bible, stay faithful to this, and all will be well. And our church struggles with this, and she learned through her long life how to be patient, and we need to. 
And this is what Daniel does as well. I mean, you look at his life, he had to be patient all the way through. He had to build resilience, and he had to build grit, and he had to build determination. He had to have confidence and trust in order to be able to survive all the way through to his 70s. So when you turn to Daniel chapter 7, and this is an important verses, page 830 in your Bible, but turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. After the very first vision there, Daniel chapter 7, verse 15, after he saw all the stuff, this is what he says. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. And then he gets some kind of interpretation coming through. You get down to the end of chapter 7, verse 28. He says, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Then three years later, he gets the vision in Daniel chapter 8, turn over to the page, Daniel chapter 8, get all the way down to the last verse, and I, Daniel, verse 27, I, Daniel, was overcome, lay sick for some days, then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled in the vision and did not understand it. He's a wise old man. God gives him these visions, and he doesn't get it. In fact, by the time we get to Daniel chapter 12, you will see that God says to Daniel, seal the book up. Seal the book up. One day, people will have the ability to be able to understand this. Right now, it is too much. Because imagine if today I received the vision or you received the vision and the vision came and said, by the way, Jesus is coming back. And you'd be like, yeah, it's going to be in 2,300 years. Yeah, that's... Oh, wait, 2016, that's 4016, 4316? What? Overwhelming. So he says, seal it up. Once time passes along and you understand the patience that I am with you and I am going through as well, you will start to see that the time is short. And now that we live at the end, and we do, I kid you not, you look at the prophecies, we live at the end here. We don't have thousands of years ahead of us, Jesus says, now that you understand this, embrace it. Embrace it fully. Take it on. Believe in this. So I ask myself, why has it taken so long? And I believe it's because character assassination is deep. When people attack your character, it is deep. When God's character is assassinated, it is deep. It takes time for us to trust, to grow again, to realize that God has been faithful to us from the beginning all the way to the end. So why do people reject religion? Why do people reject church? Why do people reject faith or Adventism? I think sometimes we say it's because of the music or because of the people or the style or maybe somebody's coffee bean wasn't made in the right country or it's the preaching or it's the chairs and the color of the gray and the red, whatever it may be, those are all red herrings. Those are not the reasons that people reject faith because God is not calling you to come to a church and say, do I agree in 100% with everything taking place? If you did, you wouldn't be a thinker. You'd be a clone and you'd look weird. You'd have a wet helmet and just, it'd be weird. So we want thinkers. We want people who disagree. We want people to have different opinions and we need each other to do that because we grow with that. The reason we reject, the reason we move away is because we don't have the patience to let God reveal himself to us. It takes time. It's not like 13 weeks of Bible study is done. It's not like you just go to five nights of one series and you're done. It takes time. You have to invest time. You have to build patience with God as God is revealing himself to you through the entire Bible inside here. 
I was talking to Annabelle, one of the young people that comes to our church here uh, this week about passion for her life and what she wants to do and how she's going to get involved in some things at church here. And she was telling me that she wants to be, uh, she wanted to be an astronaut, but now it's actually moved into more becoming an astronomer. And I said, where does that passion come from? She said, as, as an astronomer, I want to be able to discover the unknown. I said, that's, that's, a great, that's a great vision for what the future could be and what you could discover about the unknown. That's a great skill. She said, yeah, but I want to discover the unknown, and I want people who work in that field to know that I believe God is behind it. And I was like, that was phenomenal, that you believe God is behind it. Yeah, I don't know what the answers are, but I want people to know that I believe in God. And in that field of astronomy, very few people believe in God for some reason, and I want to be inside there. When you're thinking about your job, is that what you think? I want people to know about God. That's why I chose this particular career. That's what I wanted to do. Or is it that you just wanted to be a great CPA? Is it because God is so important and part of your life that every field deserves a conversation with God as part of it? Despite all the anxiety that we have, God is saying, be patient with me and I will pull you through. That's what he's saying over and over again. I was talking to someone this week who they couldn't go to sleep, and they were emailing me and telling me they just couldn't go to sleep, and they were stressed. And I said to them, why, why are you stressed? And they said, it's just, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried, I just can't release it. And I said, well, here's the thing. In the Bible, there are 40 different times that God says, do not fear. And it's nice, it's nice that he says, do not fear. And when you're stressed, that doesn't really help you when somebody says, don't stress right? Don't have any fear. But I said that the stories of do not fear, the context of do not fear, are always about this, that God is saying, I'm with you. That's why you do not fear. I'm with you, always with you. Daniel reaches his point, sees his heavy stuff, stressed, cannot sleep, pale on his skin, doesn't know what's going on, but he says, God, I'm patient, and I'm with you. I'm going to read Psalm 40. I'm going to invite Pastor Eli to come up. He's going to lead us in worship. I'm going to read Psalm 40. And if you have time, then turn with me to Psalm 40, because it is a great psalm. And I want, I'm just going to read the first few verses inside here, um, because I think that these are relevant and pertinent to what we're thinking of today. God is calling us to be patient. God is calling us to be a people who are engaged with him and to hang in there with him as he has done for thousands of years. And this is what he says in Psalms 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie? You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you, and I will proclaim and tell them that they are more than you've been told. Heavenly Father, we have waited patiently, Lord, and we wait patiently, and we ask that your patience grows in you, because your word is sure. Heavenly Father, we look forward to your son's soon return. We look forward to this world being recreated. And we don't know when that's going to happen. We, we do know, Lord, that life is short. And with the breath that we have, may we live it patiently with you, in determination with you, resilience with you, 
sharing it with everyone we know so they too may discover the God that we know. Thank you.